here. Well, we are now in the fifth and final part of our uh, Me 2.0 series. We've been looking at the fact that we're not just have this relationship with God. We're not just doing this church thing, that we actually are new creations, that God has created us. And it's, uh, uh, you know, we are looking at how this works, how this whole new creation works. We're used to living in the old creation. We've got some habits formed in that. We've got some things that operate in that just real naturally. And so what does it mean to be a new creation? How does this work in our daily lives? And we've been cruising through here the in the uh, first uh, uh, four parts. And today, we're looking at my new friends. We looked at my, my new life. We looked at my new heart, my new mind, my new, my new generosity. And now we were looking at my new friends. And uh, so we just want to go ahead and jump right into the middle of this. Because we can never, ever become what God created us to be apart from God. We can never be who God created us to be apart from God. That's why it's, life is so shallow and empty when we don't have God in there because you can begin to try to put all other sorts of good things and you don't have God at the helm of that and it's completely and totally empty. And when God created us as a new creation, we're not born alone. We're not this little single little piece of a new creation. We get put into a community called the body of Christ. We're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We're immediately born as a new creation into this awesome, huge family. And the new creation that we are integrates with that and operates within that. And we thrive within this new family, the body of Christ. And like any part of a living thing, we can only grow and thrive when we are connected to that body. We can only grow and thrive when we are connected to it, when we stay, uh, stay a part of that. There's so many people that like to say the thing, well, you know, me and Jesus, we've got our own thing going. I'm not, I don't need this whole church thing. I don't, you don't have to go to church to be a believer, and you don't have to go to church. You don't have to go and sit on someplace on a Sunday morning to be a believer. But to grow and thrive, you have to be connected with the church, which is other believers, See, we know it's not the building because this is a movie theater. It's not the, it's not the building. You know, they're going to you know, be showing Mel Gibson up here this afternoon. You know, I'm sure he's going to be all sorts of havoc and damage is going to be playing out up here. There's going to be a whole other thing happening in this theater later today. But right now, because you and I are believers, then this is, the, this is church. Church is happening right now. If we were outside, that would be where the church is. If we were down at the bus station, that would be where the church is. It's being connected with other believers. And that is the vital part. That is what is important. And you cannot grow and thrive in your relationship with God apart from other believers. You may not, you may not have to be a part of this one little church or this thing, but you have to be connected with other believers. And that is the church as a whole, it is absolutely important. We've probably all heard so many times the, the analogy, but it's, it is so perfect. And especially when it's had cold like we've had this week where the, the, uh, the preacher decided he was going to go on visitation. There had been a guy who hadn't been around to church in a long, long time. He goes and knocks on the door of the guy, and it's cold, cold day, winter day, and goes inside, and the man says, uh, Preacher, 
you know, Robert, walk on in, offers him some coffee, and they sit in front of the fire. Sitting their coffee, not saying a word to each other. The preacher reaches over there and takes the poker, pulls a little, uh, little, little coal away from it and sticks it over on the edge. And of course, at first, the coal's just, it's just piping hot. I mean, it's just, it's just a little blaze all by itself. But then as it sits there, it just begins to diminish. And pretty soon, after they've sat there 20 or 30 minutes, its glow is gone, its heat is gone, that roaring fire is still blazing. But that one little coal by itself is gone. Preacher quietly reaches over the poker, kicks the coal back into the middle of that blaze, and whew, roars back to life. <clears throat> and says, well... Robert, good evening. I've got to be gone. And Robert says, Pastor, I'll see you Sunday. He got the message. The, the thing is, is that we, we think we can do that. We think when all of a sudden we're seeing life coming inside of us and there's this fire and there's this, there's this thing happening within us inside of the body of Christ, inside of where we're supposed to be hooked up, where we think it's all about us. And it's, it's easy. Me and God, we've got this cool thing going and I don't have to stay connected. And maybe for a little while, things are okay. Maybe for a little bit, things stay warm and things stay toasty. But inevitably, we cannot thrive. We cannot do what we're supposed to do outside of the body of Christ. See, when the early church, when the early church first came right after Christ's resurrection, we see here in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That fellowship is them just spending time together. It's not this official spiritual thing. I mean, we see... We see prayer and we understand what that is and we understand the, the apostles teaching and, and taking in their, their teachings and their doctrines and meditating on those and discussing those but this fellowship part this fellowship part is just spending time together just hanging out with each other just allowing one another to be there in each other's lives as we traveled around and visited a lot of these different churches one of the things that Cutie and I were over and over impressed with again is that these different churches, they just, <clears throat> the, the staff, they said, we just, we just want people on our, on our bus, on our church, on our team, that we just enjoy doing life together. That we're just going to do life together. Because ministry flows out of that relationship. You can't just have all of these little disconnected pieces all trying to do this thing. There has to be this overall Connection. One pastor told me when I, was, when I was interviewing about staff and whatnot, he says, I never hire somebody to work on my staff that I want to avoid on Saturday. I never hire somebody just to be in there and fill a role that I don't want to go hang out with and go fishing with. Why? Because that fellowship, that connection, all of that stuff is so incredibly vital. That's one of the things when people are coming to a church. That one of the first things before they connect with the teaching, before they connect with, with the worship, before they connect with so many things, they'll come in and automatically just kind of feel. If this feels like it's home, it's this, just the personality of the church. And people have all these different personalities. Not everybody's going to fall in love with Celebration Church and say, wow, I, I feel connected here. And that's why there's so many vibrant, wonderful churches in San Angelo. 
for other people to connect with. They all have their own personality and their own flavor where people can really lock arms and do life together. That's where the change happens as, as we just purpose to do life together. Colossians 2 verses 2 through 3 says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. We're not really going to understand what we're supposed to as believers if we're not connected together and united in love. That's why it is so important. We truly do make each other better. In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As you and I come together and begin to do life together, we begin to purpose to walk forward in what Christ has called us to in this unified place. Then, man, how we begin to grow in our understanding of who God is. Why? Because ultimately, to really do that, we have to walk in His nature. We have to really be patient and loving and forgiving and all these different things because walking in this place of unity and really doing life together is not always an easy chore. It's not always an easy thing. But relationships are absolutely vital. Relationships are so incredibly life-giving and we have to have those and they are a part of being a new creation. They're part of that. The right people in our lives make us better. They can save us from catastrophe. They can bring us forward. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I love that, I love that analogy. And for one thing, it's not always this pleasant deal. When you think of iron sharpening iron as, as, a, as a razor gets sharpened, as you go into your, your kitchen and you grab your little your little uh, sharpener for your knife, your knife gets sharpened, but you'll find that there's all these little burrs and these little pieces of metal, these little flecks that end up there on the, the kitchen counter. There's some removal that takes place to reveal that sharp edge. And so with us being in each other's lives, a lot of times as that sharpness is revealed, then God is using one another to kind of bring some of the rough edges off of our lives, to kind of bring some of the stuff that's getting in the way of that true sharpness in our lives. It is so incredibly, incredibly important. When my, uh, my grandfather was here a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, he was going to be here on a Sunday morning. It was the first time he got to attend church here in the theater. And, of course, I've used a number of stories on my papa and, uh, as, as illustrations. And so my mother had told him, she said, well, you know, at, at Brandon's church, you know, you're kind of famous, you know, Paul, Paul. You know, a lot of people know stories on you. And so he, uh, he said, well, is he, did I ever tell him the story about, uh, about me and the, and the careless weeds? And I'd never heard that story. So while he was here, while he was here, I made sure that I had him tell me, because as soon as he said careless weeds, I mean, you used to use the word careless, and I'm like, okay, we've got, we've got something good hidden in this story. This is awesome. And uh, so I said, 
everybody was going to bed, and I grabbed him and had him tell me uh, this story. And it's so, it's so cool because of the, the connection. Anyways, when he was a kid, he, they were, uh, he'd worked on a farm. That's what, they, that's what they did. They were farmers. And for a while, they, they were just farm workers and would just move from, from field to field and go and, and work other stuff. And finally, they got their own land, were able to tend their own land. And there was an incredible amount of rain that had come in, which, of course, is wonderful for the crops because they grow a lot, but so do the weeds. The weeds grow up real bad. And as soon as it got to where they could get out there and it not be a mud hole, then they had to go in and remove all of these careless weeds. Well, I had to look up what a careless weed was. It's a pretty common weed. It was all the weeds I had to pull as a kid. My dad would make me pull weeds as a kid out of our yard. Almost every one of those was careless weeds. And um, they're just weeds to us. But he was out there pulling these careless weeds, and he was working his row and going up and pulling them. And he said, you know, every once in a while that his, his hand would slip. And it would just whoop, slide up, and he'd have to reach down there and grab another holt, he'd say. i got to get a new holt. And uh, so he would, said he was going along, and he, his hand slipped. And uh, so he was about to grab another holt, and he said that he, he heard an audible voice. He's not one that super spiritualizes things. And he says this is his one encounter he believes with an angel. He said there was nobody directly around him. And he says he heard clear as a bell. He said, Joe, look down. And so and he said he, did, he didn't do what he normally do with let go and reach down and grab another grip. And he just looked down. And there in his hand was looking at him was the head of this baby rattlesnake. And the, the end of it was hanging out. Well, I'm not some animal science expert, so I don't know if this is true, but I've always heard that of the rattlesnakes, the most dangerous ones are the babies because they don't control their venom. And when they go to bite, they just unload it all. They just dump it all into their victim. And so he's sitting there holding, along with chunks of that weed, this little baby rattlesnake, and he has it right behind the neck, so it can't bite him, and he's got this thing withering around. Well, then he sees his dad, his dad rows and rows over and hollers at him and hollers at his dad to come over there and begin to help him deal with that. So they come up with this, with this scheme that they're going to, he's going to let go of the snake and then my, my uh, great-grandfather is going to just like yank him out of the way to get him further away. He's going to throw the snake up and just yank him out of the way. So they end up going through this whole elaborate deal of him throwing the snake and my papa getting yanked to the ground and, and uh, all, ended up, all ended up being well. He ended up being, being taken care of in the issue. But he really is one of those things. It's just a real bonding moment between him and his father when he looked back and he was in that place of dealing with those careless weeds and ended up getting a hold of something that was incredibly deadly. Now, in as we go through, relationship is so incredibly vital for us because it's easy for us to fall into that place of just kind of carelessly going through life, not really thinking about what's going on, and we end up in a mess we did not plan on. A lot of times it's potentially ruinous to our lives, and it's in those places that God begins to use vital relationships People in our lives to help deal with those issues. I'm telling you, I, I've looked back multiple times 
in the times of my life where just real blessing came into my life, it always came through relationships. It was never something I just did on my own. It was whether I asked for counsel from somebody. I knew I was in over my head, and I went to them and I said, look, this situation's going on. I've got this. Whether it was a, a business deal or whether whatever it was, my life was always blessed because of relationships. And I guarantee, had I tried to go it alone, Brandon Clark's life would have been way, way different. I couldn't have pulled the trigger to, to, to obey God to, to start this church without vital relationships and God confirming what I'd heard in my own heart through these other people. And God speaking in to my life through these other people. They are so, so important. It is so vital. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. 2 Corinthians six fourteen, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? See, as we move forward with these relationships, the kind of relationships they are is vital. It's not just, okay, well, I've got a best friend. I've got somebody that I confide in and everything. It's Okay, that's good. You need somebody. But what kind of counsel is that person going to give you? Are that person pushing you towards Christ? Or is that person just telling you whatever they think, just kind of pulling it out of their ear? We have to make sure we're not unequally yoked. We're moving in the same direction. Then uh, the, the word also tells us how can two walk together unless they agree. I'd never really felt that before. But man, some friends of ours, they, uh, they gave us the term uh, intense fellowship. That uh, when there's an, an argument or some, some talk going on. Well, uh, one day a couple of weeks ago, Cutie and I were out on a walk. And we were walking together. Well, in that, we were discussing some issues that were going on with the church and some different stuff. And she had a, one very strong opinion, and I had another opinion. And as we are going, we are finding it difficult to finish this walk together when we didn't agree. She'd slow down. And so, and then I'd be getting ahead, and then we'd go along, and it was just, we were out in the middle of nowhere. We couldn't, we weren't just going to part ways and meet up at the house. You know, we had, we were out in the, out in our neighborhood, and we had to get back. And so as we were trying to walk together and stuck together, we finally found this place of agreement and say, okay, I see what you're talking about. And she, you know, she saw a little bit of what I was talking about, and. Since I move more towards her direction. She's incredibly gifted in the area of perception. And I have to really lean on that even when I don't like it. And, uh, but it's so vital. It's so true. Whenever we cannot really move forward unless we agree. And that's why the, people, the core people in our lives have to be people who agree on where we're heading. I don't have best friends in my life that aren't full on for God. I have people in my life that I know that I talk to. It's not that it's like, well, if you're not, you know, if you're not full on for God, I'm just not going to talk to you. No, but it, they're not the people that I get counsel from. They're not the people I go to with problems. They're not the people that I want praying for me. 
These are the people that I want in my life that they're people that are, they, they don't have, they're not doing it perfect, but their hearts are bent and set towards God. And we have to have that in our lives. Ephesians 4, 15 through 17 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As you and I are, are hitting on all cylinders, man, I'm telling you, you living full for God, doing what you are called to do, makes me a better person. I, you will teach me, you will encourage me, you will help all those pieces just like me do, and that helps you. It's not one thing, it's not all of these isolated little parts coming together and showing up on a Sunday. It's becoming one unified body. It is incredibly, incredibly vital. It says, so I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord that you may no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of of their thinking. Those who aren't connected with God. They live in the futility of their thinking. They're constantly doing well. You know I can cut relationship whenever I want to. You don't agree with me. You don't do this. I can just ditch you out of my life. No we have to live in this place. Where we work to make ourselves stay connected. With the body of Christ. And see and a lot of this is tough. Because relationships can be intimidating. Because people fail us. We don't want to be tied in with people because we've been hurt too many times. And guess what? If you've come to Celebration Church to find a church where people won't fail you, I am sorry, but it, you, it, we're probably going to do it. If you've been coming since September, I, I, it's probably already happened. I've probably already failed you in some capacity. Or somebody else has. Why? Because we are still growing in this. We're still learning this. God is still working himself out on the inside of us. See, the, uh, the phrase unfailing love shows up in the Bible 32 times. And only refers to God. It never refers to a person. It never insinuates that a person can have unfailing love. We're, per we're told to pursue love. We're told to walk in love. We're told all these things that we're to do. But it never even insinuates that we can live in some place of unfailing love. We see where Peter, <clears throat> after Pentecost, after the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after all this stuff, he still fails. He still has to get called on the carpet and Paul has to tell him, look, you're acting like the hypocrite. This is Peter. We're still going to make mistakes. We're still going... To have these issues. Paul had to part way. With Barnabas. Because they just had two different understandings. Of what things were going to happen. There were still these issues. These things still happened. Only God has unfailing love. People will hurt us. As growing up. my uh, Our neighbors. Uh, we had uh, neighbors directly beside us. They had kids our age. And. The, the boys were just a little bit older than me, and uh, the, the daughter was, was, uh, was my age. And we liked to, with our ride bikes, 
and jump ramps. And these weren't huge ramps. It's nothing, you know, it wasn't like potential X games or anything. It was just, you know, little, little ramps. So we would find bricks and loose boards and all this stuff to build our ramps out of. But we finally found this nice board and we were needing something to prop it up on to create this awesome ramp. And we knew we wanted something, you know, about, you know, about that high, about that thing. And we were looking around and for some reason, as we were looking around, we looked over at Shelly, you know, and Shelly was about that thick. And so we looked and said, Shelly, will you lay down here in the alley and we're going to lay this board on you and we're, you, she's going to be our ramp. So we at least we decided that we were going to be nice about it and they went and got their mother's doormat and I got my mother's doormat. We laid it on the ground so she wasn't on just the Kaliji and then we put the other doormat on, on her and uh, she's about nine years old. And then we, we uh, put the board on her and we backed our bikes up and just got a full head of steam and whoosh, we jumped our bikes off of Shelly. And uh, after about three or four times and getting squished by that board real good, she, she quit being our ramp. And it was, thought, how insensitive. We're just, we're just getting going good. What's the matter with this? What's the matter with this girl? Well, see, the thing is, is a lot of people are intimidated of getting into relationships because we feel like we've been used that way. That somebody just used us in life to try to launch themselves a little further. Somebody just used us in life to just, to just plow over us and use us for something we weren't designed to be used for. And it hurts. And we knew it was wrong. We look back and we're like, how could they even think of doing that to me? How could they even think of doing that? And we're like, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. And there are certain situations you should never put yourself in again. I don't think Shelly was ever a ramp again. I think she learned her lesson. I don't think she ever agreed to that. And there are things you do, but you don't cut yourself out of relationship. You don't say, well, man, everybody's out to get me and I'm just done here. I'm telling you, Satan, one of his number one schemes is to get us isolated. As soon as he can get us disconnected and isolated, man, he can just have fits with us. Man, it just whoop us up one side and down the other. See, Psalms 31, 16 says, <clears throat> this is back to the unfailing love of God. It says, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Psalms 33, 22, may your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. You know what is one of the, the cool things is, is that a lot of times it's other people that hurt us. But the cool thing is, is as we stay connected to the body of Christ, God immediately comes in and shows us love and care through people. Whenever somebody hurts us, the last thing in the world we need to do is completely disconnect from all relationship. Because God can't show us care like he wants to outside of that. We immediately, God will immediately come in just like if I sit there and swing a hammer and hit it, I'm not, I immediately want to bring it in and just begin to take care of it. I immediately want to come in and protect it and nurture it. Maybe kiss it. Why? Because it's precious to me. And if all of a sudden my finger had a mind of its own, it was able to go, boop, pop off and say, I'm out of here. You're not hitting me again. 
That other hand over there is a jerk. I'm, I'm tired of being a part of this body. I've been hit too many times. I'm gone. Man, that, all of a sudden it's disconnected from its life flow. It's disconnected. It's just like any other finger apart from it. It's going to die. Everything else is going to go on. We have to stay connected. It is so, so important. Colossians 3, 12 through 16 tells us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That is how we have to respond to one another. And it's all these things of bearing and putting up with and clothing ourselves on purpose. A lot of these things don't come naturally to us. And it's so important. See, life-giving relationships keep God at the center. When I do weddings, a lot of times I've been in them and, the, and preachers just address the spouses. And of course, they're the ones making the vows and making the commitments. But one of the key things that happens in weddings is the fact that these other parties are there. They've invited somebody to stand with them. Best man, bridesmaid, somebody standing alongside of them and standing with them. And I always address the bridal party as well and tell them you know what you've been asked you've been brought in here it's a fundamental thing that you've been at because they trust you and they're wanting you to witness the words they're saying and you need to commit to always counsel one another them back to each other y'all are the people that they're going to be coming to with their problems and their frustrations with each other you watched them do this. Counsel them back to each other. See, life-giving relationships stay God-centered. They're, life-giving relationships always push us back to God. Somebody says, man, I'm just so frustrated with this or that with God. What's God doing? They always push us. Life-giving relationships bring us back to God. Counsel us back to God. 1 John 1.3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. I like the way the message reads. It says, But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another. That's doing life together. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's Son, purges all sin. See, the me 2.0 version is shaped by the unfailing love of God. But it is conducted and comes through us through our connection to other people via relationship. Now, this morning... I want to ask you, and we're going to make a little quiet moment here. But first I want to ask all those who, uh, who are here, are you pursuing those vital relationships God has put in your life? There are people that are mentors, people who are helping carry you up. That's one of the reasons why these 
and people, and then there are people who run alongside you. That's why we're really encouraging people to get involved in these, these groups of three where it's not a whole lot of people. You can meet on a regular basis and really encourage each other. Discuss the word together. Pray together. And really carry one another. Always pointing each other back to Christ. If you're not in one of those, I suggest you find a couple of folks to connect with. Be able to do life together. We want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to know Christ. And if you're here this morning, I'd appreciate it if you would just bow your head. Close your eyes. Because see, you can only live in the 2.0 version of self when that exists. And that only comes through the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus, of accepting what he has done in our lives. That's the only way that happens. So with you here this morning, if you need to receive Jesus, I just ask that, that you just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, I need to receive the gift of Christ. I need him to take care of my sin. I need him to deal with all of those issues. And I choose Christ. If that's you, I just ask you to just raise your hand. Awesome. I appreciate it as everybody just stand up. We're